Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take research and make it accessible to owners and horse enthusiasts alike. Please remember with each topic we discuss that you should always seek professional advice before implementing any strategies. Today, we are looking at a chapter in a book that's called Security in Connection and Co-Regulation. And this chapter is focusing on safeguarding the horse from traumatic reenactments in equisoma. So equisoma is the integration of somatic experiencing, polyvagal theory, attachment theory, and trauma-informed principles into equine-assisted trauma recovery. So using horses to then assist people that have experienced traumas. And this was a really interesting paper to delve into because Nancy and I have some limited experience with um, horses used as in therapeutic riding settings. And this really kind of opened our eyes to you know, really the effects, not only on the horse, because it is our job to safeguard the horse when we're using them in these therapies, but also the effect the horse and their behavior can have on that person that has experienced trauma. And just from like the beginning of the paper, one of the things I really liked is, you know, we all know, all of us that have been around horses and know horses know that they have that personality. But it said to that horses have, um, personality, nervous system, attachment styles, needs, opinions, preferences, and life histories, and their subjects within their own lives. And I just love that it said opinions because that is going to be my new favorite word for my mayor. She is definitely opinionated. <laughs> All those mayors Yeah. <laughs> well, and I thought it was really... Um, unique that they talked about how horses can experience a co-dysregulation in the presence of a person experiencing emotional distress or physiological activation and they actually choose to move away from the source of discomfort if they're allowed to do so. So I think Kate you were kind of talking it about it earlier with me about it was the horse giving consent to being exposed to that person. And that is a way of looking at the horse therapy that I had never looked at it before. I think that's what really opened my eyes in this paper where, you know, they did kind of touch on consent and how, you know, the horse has to really want you to pet them. And I think it opened up like just, really expanded my thinking on the whole topic because there's not only the fact that the horse needs to allow this person to be around them and to touch them to create a proper bond you know if you're forcing people that have um these traumas onto the horse you may make that horse um enter that state of learned helplessness where they're just going to allow themselves to be petted or allow themselves to interact because they feel like they can't escape it and it said in this paper that it's so important to look at that through the eyes of someone who has experienced trauma and know that you are then showing that person who's experienced trauma that this animal's 
needs and this animal's um like preferences don't matter and we can make it do what we need it to do and that could have been something that they've been abused through so they've been made do things that they weren't comfortable with and then you're damaging not only the horse's ability to work within these dynamics but also that person you're damaging their trust and they're not going to trust a trainer that's forcing a horse to interact as well Mm -hmm. And I like they had different scenarios. uh, And the one woman I really felt for because she had been a victim of um, grief and she had experienced traumatic loss in her life. And so they sent her in um, to kind of interact with this horse and the horse kept walking away from her and in essence I think her internal energy so to speak was almost pushing that horse away well she took it as if the horse was rejecting her like other people had rejected her or left her are um, just kind of, um, she had very low self-esteem. And I think what's so important about exposing both horse and patient in that scenario would be to have a a medical uh, person there that is a psychoanalyst or a psychiatrist that can help work the woman through her feelings so she doesn't always make it about her and what she's feeling, but about what she's conveying to that horse. And that's why horses are so good because their survival depends on reading predators, reading a situation. And they're so good at mirroring what we're feeling. And that was a, such a, um, gut-wrenching scenario that the woman had almost put her back a few steps in her progress because she took it so hard that that horse would not accept her. And I think like when you said about mirroring, it is, it's so true that like not only can the horses provide that for us, that co-regulation, which co-regulation basically refers to social relationships And it's the way that one can adjust themselves in order to maintain a regulated state. So, you know, we've talked before about having the right mindset when you're horse riding. And, you know, that really is, I, in my opinion, 80 to 90% of the battle is, you know, if you have a horse that refuses jumps in your mind, you need to have pictured that you have cleared it for them to clear it. And they pick up on so much of that. So they can, you know, mirror back what we're giving them they can help us co-regulate we can help them co-regulate but it's also important to remember as well that like some horses like it's just not the work they're cut out for so like maybe that horse even though like so many horses would probably move away initially and we've talked before in a podcast about how mayors are more inclined to do that you know maybe that horse wasn't cut out for that kind of work because it's not a given that all horses will provide co-regulation. You know, we really do need to find those special horses that have that knack for kind of shining through and bringing people out in themselves. Yeah, and some of these therapy scenarios, I felt like they would benefit from 
helping the patients learn basic horse behavior, how there are times when every horse will move away from us, but it doesn't mean they're rejecting us. It just can be our, I guess, mood or the way we're approaching them. So I think it, it also is great to teach people that you can be empathetic on what another living thing is feeling or what their actions are and try and interpret that and not always be the dominant person, but to try and work within, you know, their bubble on that particular day. And I wondered as well, maybe it's just, you know, how you go about it. Cause in that scenario, um, I believe the woman was, was she out in the fields with the horses for that one? Or maybe that was one of the other scenarios, but I just thought, it didn't really seem like the best setup to go out into a whole field of horses and try and approach all of them and see which one lets you approach it. Or, you know, in one scenario, they ended up choosing this horse, but the horse kept walking away from them and they just kept following and following. And then the person felt like the person who had the trauma felt like the horse had been worn down. And that's why it gave in, not that, you know, it was a true kind of connection they had made. Yeah, um, it was. She was going towards the group and then she was devastated when, you know, the one horse that she had singled out would have nothing to do with her. But that's where a little behavior might um have helped her because of course that horse is going to want to go with the herd. And especially if they sense there's certain emotional state of the person, you know, trying to get, trying to catch them. So um, I think sometimes a little analysis from the um, facilitators would help out to kind of um, help a person navigate when they do feel that rejection, maybe um, to turn that around, to shine the light more on why the horse may be walking away than it being something, you know, that you're missing or that it's a rejection of you. And I'm not by any means a psychoanalyst, but, and I've, you know, I have one little pony at one point, she wouldn't, you know, she would always walk away, but I just had to gain her trust that, you know, and let her enjoy what we do together, whether it's driving or riding. And usually when I walk in the field, she comes up to me. And of course, I do give her a little treat, a reward, a rub on her withers or whatever for doing that. But I think at times with these horses, you have to establish a relationship with them. You just can't go up to them cold turkey and expect for them to totally trust That's you. That's why I was thinking it'd be great to um, chat to a behaviorist on one of these episodes because I thought then you know what if you went instead of having the horses in a field you do evaluate your horses you choose what horses are going to be used therapeutically what ones are more inclined to it and then put one in a loose ring and you and the person enter the ring but don't approach the horse you just wait because horses are naturally curious and if you give them their space and you're there just you know just relaxed as much as you can be in that situation Mm -hmm. 
and they come over and then you just give them a treat and you don't really ask for anything from them. You might not necessarily halter them that day. You know, it's kind of like setting the expectations lower. And I think too, it can be hard because, you know, someone who's been through trauma and is really, you know, they're looking for help and they're looking for you to help them learn to heal And they come to a scenario where they're told, you know, animals are incredible healers and they might have heard testimonies that, you know, oh, you won't believe what these horses can do. And then they get there and it's so underwhelming because the horse won't look at them, you know, and it's just it's that first day like they have to build that connection. Yep, I think that's important is uh, for people to have a good foundation first and um, lower those expectations. And then also for the facilitator to pick the right horse for that person. And then if they could just learn a little horse behavior, like I was always taught, you don't go out in the field to catch a horse and be looking at that horse with hard eyes or approaching them straight on, um, in a working walk, if you will, that you kind of come up at a 45 degree angle, have soft eyes, everything matters like that until they get to know you. And uh, it would be the equivalent of running out in a pasture of strange horses and chasing them. I mean, running after them. I don't think there's too many that are going to just stay in one place. But and I look think at like you, that's so true. Know? What you just said, Nancy, about the you don't walk out there looking them in the eye. And I think that's something we overlook yeah. so much as humans. Like having a dog at the moment who's, she's a rescue. I'm very nervous, very, very nervous of people, but she's a loving nature. When we're out on a walk, if someone stares at her, she barks at them because it makes her uncomfortable. And, you know, I always feel bad saying to people, don't look at her, like, don't, don't make eye contact, don't look at her, because I feel like I'm kind of being rude. But I mean, with any animal or with any human, if you were walking down the street and a stranger is walking right at you, staring at you, like, would you not feel really uneasy and think, oh my God, what is this person going to do? Mm-hmm. And I think people forget that they're not machines, they're prey animals and their survival depends on reading people and, you know, being somewhat flighty or fearful and moving away. So I always thought just maybe teaching basics and reading this uh, research, I felt like so much could have been alleviated from these patients blaming themselves if they would have a little knowledge of horse behavior and that it's not them. It was maybe their internal emotions as well as their walk, how hard their eyes were, because we all know with horses, you use hard eyes, soft eyes, even with uh, centered riding by Sally Swift. She talks so much about posture and eyes, whether it's staring or just, you know, those soft eyes of not really staring, but just being aware of where the horse is. And I use those things a lot in riding, but I think uh, unconsciously I use them when I walk out in the pasture to get a horse. And just to point out, this paper uses the scenarios 
to explain, you know, how you safeguard the horse. So it's not that, you know, this paper set up those scenarios in that way. They're saying, you know, why those scenarios didn't work out. But one that was really, um, I'm not even sure what's the right word to use for it. I think amazing, but not in the positive, incredible sense, was where they had the people who'd suffered trauma go into the stalls with the horses and then they locked the stall doors. That that made my heart beat increase just reading that because even myself, I've been around thoroughbreds almost 25 years and I don't go in and lock a stall with a horse that yeah. I don't know. No, I mean, and why you would subject people to that, I think it would be far better to introduce them with liberty and at liberty and get to know the horse and then maybe have the stall door open with the facilitator standing there. But it was supposed to, um, I guess, enhance a person's panic, but we all know if we panic, yeah. our horses are going to feel that. And that's where I guess the psychologists or psychiatrists um, would come in and help the person work through their panic because apparently in that scenario, the person was having panic attacks or anxiety and her, she was like a horse wanting to, you know, fight or flight. And most of it yeah. was flight. And in this situation, they were forcing her to muscle up, they said, and, and stay in there. Now, the facilitators knew the horse wasn't going to do anything, but the lady didn't know that. So I felt like, um, you know, maybe that's not the best way. But once again, I'm not in that industry but for me being a horse person I would kind of advocate leave the stall door open and let the woman just have a start a relationship with that horse before you lock her in there with the you know horse. I thought the same thing because and I don't again I'm not in that field either I don't know the psychology behind it but I know there's this um study and there's this tool that you can use called the resilience donut and it um, was developed in Australia, but it's how to build resilience in people and help people cope and deal with adversity and with loss and things like that. But when I read up on that, it said, and I thought it was so interesting, you don't ever have to have experienced adversity in your life to be resilient. There are tools you can create that help you become resilient. And when I read that part where it was like, you know, forcing that situation, I thought to myself, is it necessary to elicit the panic to learn how to overcome it? Um, so I just thought that was interesting. Maybe there are ways that you can build tools and you don't have to actually put yourself in that situation. And also, it seems like there were a number of um, people there um, with horses. It wasn't the, that one lady had the panic attacks. But to me as well, that felt kind of overwhelming because I thought if I was going to some kind of therapy like that, I think like I would really want it to be one on one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would. I feel the same way. I think you're right. I think 
I just felt like that was almost taking one giant leap rather than breaking that scenario down into smaller steps. You know, and remember Kate Fenner, the horse trainer from Australia, she always talks about when you reach a problem area with your horse, there's probably a communication Mm -hmm. gap. And so break it down into smaller steps and work your way to somewhat bridge into the response that you want. And that really does work. If, if you're having an issue riding or training a horse and the horse just isn't getting it, it's probably missing something. And when you break it down into smaller steps, you're able to find that missing piece. And the paper just had a nice little short conclusion that I thought I would tag on at the end. It said, in short, horses are not a cure-all, and it is in both the client and the horse's best interest to be mindful of this fact when thoughtfully considering adding equine-assisted interventions to a treatment plan. So just remember, you know, not all horses are cut out for it. Um, It might not actually be in that person's best interest. You know, a different type of therapy may suit them better. But it was just so fascinating to see the intricacies between what the horse and what the human experienced during this therapy. Yeah, and I think that's so true that we're, you know, not everyone is cut out to want to be around horses. Those of us that are, we, you know, you can't argue with the fact that when you're in a barn, when you're around these animals, you can feel more relaxed. Um, you do your best thinking, your anxiety levels are down. I think my blood pressure probably goes down working with them. And, you know, if that happens, then you're called to be around these large animals, but not yeah. everybody is. So I tend to make that mistake. Everybody should love horses, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but it's not true. There some people just you know they're not they don't want to do that and that's fine too but um, I certainly go along with the um, techniques that a horse uses to bring about the relaxation in a person in such a peaceful environment there's nothing like uh, nighttime hay when you hear them all munching and turn the lights out and then you go home and sleep like a rock or I walk up to the house and sleep like a rock. So, but we realize it's not for everyone. I think it is one of those things that, you know, so many people realize that with dogs and cats, because it's probably easier, more accessible to own a dog or a cat. And, and people that are first time owners are like, it's amazing. You know, the love they bring and the fulfillment and, I mean, you just, it's hard sometimes to put into words that what a horse can bring, you know, like the amount of just love you can feel from them, the personality, the cheekiness, which, you know, always ends up being my favorite, even though it's the hardest part to have to deal with. Yeah. And I will add that this was an open source article, so I'll put a link on the homepage. And then also the references, um, I did 
check out the second reference listed was the effects equine facilitated learning can have on heart rate variability, immune function, and self-esteem in older adults, and particularly dementia patients. So one of our local therapy places are doing um, uh, nursing homes. And right now they're doing virtual because of COVID, but they're seeing the benefits of doing doing um, nursing home therapy. And I just think that's wonderful because if anybody can benefit from, um, you know, the kindness and the moods of a horse, I think it would be the elderly population. And there is in Ireland um, an organization called Festina Linte, um, and we can link that as well. And I'm not sure off the top of my head if they deal with um, people with trauma, but they do a lot of work with children that have additional needs and are really a great organization for anyone that's looking to, um, you know, kind of get into that therapeutic riding and see the benefits that that can have on it. That sounds great. I'll I'll put a link to to ride on St. Louis, which is my um, area. Um, learning or equine learning center so or therapy center so well that's all I had on this topic yeah that's everything Equisoma also has a Facebook page I'll just add that and there are different types of studies and um, different accreditations Equisoma is one of them and that's the one that we were looking at today so that's E-Q-U-U-S-O-M-A and we can tag them in that as well Okay. Well, that sounds great. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining in. And thank you, Kate, once again. Now, you picked out the paper, which at first I was like, what is this? You know, but I will say I really enjoyed it. And it was eye-opening on some of these And it was just by chance that I came across it. It's not, you know... I probably get a bit stagnant in what I normally search for on Google Scholar, but this popped up and I just thought, I put that to one side. It was a couple of weeks ago and it kept kind of playing in the back of my mind. And I thought, you know what, that might be an interesting one. It was. So thank you for picking it and uh, we'll be back next week. So thank you so much. Perfect. I'll see you then, Nancy. Take care.